invite you to turn in God's Word to the book of Genesis, chapter 2. That will be our scripture reading later on, as we have been doing in this series. Um, I go through point one of the sermon outline, then we stop and hear what God says, then we speak about what it is that God says. So I'll ask Brother Brink if he would pray at this time as well for God's Word. Our Heavenly Father, as we come now to this time of the preaching of your Word, Father, we pray that you would calm our hearts and our minds. Father, that you would open the ears, open our heart. Father, that you would speak to us. And Father, as you have promised, that as we continue in our worship, that you lift us up to the holies of holy. Father, where we can meet with the saints that have gone before, the angels. Father, that we can see you in your majesty, in your awe, in your and your beautiful power. And Father, we pray that we would come then in an attitude of fear, an attitude of humble humbleness, and Father, of awe and adoration. And Father, we would eagerly anticipate the preaching of your word this evening. All this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. If you've been with us for the series so far, uh, this is now part three, you know that it's been part one, Or point one, man says. Point two, God says. This evening I added a third point, which is the Christian response. And I think given the subject matter, um, I I think it's pretty pertinent that we, we do formulate a Christian response in regards to these particular issues that are before us tonight. In this message, we want to look at Man says, God says, in terms of man's uniqueness, man, and who man in is, and what man is. If we're to listen to man, if we're to listen to the world, if we're to listen to our culture, to the society around us, we would hear the following three things. Some would say, man is a product of chance. Now, we've been down this road before, okay, we were there last Lord's Day evening, but in terms of not only are there those who would advocate that the formation of the earth and of the universe is by chance, they would also advocate the fact that man's existence upon this planet is purely by chance as well. That's their position, that's what they believe, that's what they advocate. And because of that, what, what in essence they are saying is, because everything takes place randomly, by chance, that life really has no meaning. Life is simply a series of continual chance events that take place over the course of time. And it's really not going anywhere. There is really no point, there is really no purpose in that which is happening. Life just doesn't matter. Now if one stops and just thinks about that and and thinks, okay, if I'm brought up in a society, in a culture, in which I am told over and over again that everything is by chance, that nothing has a purpose, that nothing has a point to it, 
What are the results of that over the course of time? If I'm continually subjected to that theory, to that belief system, what might be a likely result of that? Well, perhaps likely might come despair. (laughs) I might easily toss up my hands and say, what's the point? Or, as I'll invent a word for you, the purposelessness of it all. There is just no reason for my existence. There's no reason for anyone's existence. There's this sort of fatalism attitude about life. Ask yourself the question, as you think about events of the last ten years of life, if you think about events of the last five years of life, are there those that you know that you can look at and see that effect. Can you see it in our society? That there are those who are just full of despair. They believe life is pointless. They believe life is hopeless. So there's one. That's how man would answer, look at it. Man's not unique. We're just here as a product of chance. The second one adds a little dimension to it, comes kind of out of the same fundamental background, but it adds a little bit to it. Man is a product of the evolutionary process. This is the current thing that's in vogue. This is, this is what all academia promotes. Okay? And by academia, I don't mean those who are Christian sciences. Okay? I, I, that's not, I, I mean, you know, it's the people who are in control, the people who are in power, the people who, who organize and, and develop textbooks and make all that criteria and so on. These are the people okay, who, who carry with them the attitude of man is just a product of an evolutionary process. That's what we are. That's their belief. That's what the culture, that's what society says. If you press that point and and listen carefully to the argument, what, what the argument comes out as is this. We, at this point, are at the highest level of the evolutionary process. May there be and develop over the course of time something greater than mankind. Yes, they would admit to that. When you ask the question, well, how does this evolutionary process work? Okay, well, the answer comes back, as Darwin would have given them, the answer is, it's through the process of the survival of the fittest. It is the survival of the strong. It is the strongest that are able to adapt to new situations. It is the strongest who are able to adapt to new environments. Mankind emerged over the course of of billions, millions of years of history, as as the one who has been able so far to best adapt, to become the strongest in terms of adapting to the environment, over the course of time, most likely what will happen is man will fade out of the picture and some other evolutionary being, technology, think of all the movies that take you down that route today, 
okay, that's going to somehow evolve beyond mankind and they will become the superior race. And what is the result of that? Let's subject children for the last 60 years to that way of thinking. So now we have grandparents who think that way. We have parents who have accepted that. And now we have children in a school being taught. That's mankind. Hmm. The strong make it, huh? The strong survive. So I guess the kid who has some sort of physical deformity, we ought to pick on. Maybe we can use modern technology. Maybe we can use Facebook. Maybe we can use all sorts of insidious little ways to get at this kid because actually he's kind of weak. We don't need weak. It's only so much food and we've got to get rid of the weak. So we'll pick on them. We'll bully them. I don't know what the school expected would happen. I don't know what they expected was going to take place. When you tell somebody and teach somebody that the only way to survive in this world is to be the strongest and to adapt and to be the fittest so that you survive, And then you see what happens is kid gets caught doing that and what happens? The parents defend them. Why? Because that's the way they think. Schools have to have anti-bullying statements. You wouldn't need to have an anti-bullying statement if you told the kid the truth about who we are. If you keep telling them lies, it's going to end up in this result. My friends, what do you suppose is going on in the south side of Chicago where over 500 murders have already taken place this year? What do you think all them people are carrying a gun for on the south side of Chicago? Because they believe what they were taught. Only the strong survive. And if you don't have a gun, you're not strong. I need a gun in my pocket to have some semblance of strength. And I need to use that gun to evidence the fact that I am the strong and I will survive. Because that's what they taught me in school. What explains in our world and in our society From the time of Cain on, the violence, it is the belief that only the strong survive. That's what's out there. Abortion, mass killings, it all comes back to this This idea that only man, a man, you see, is just part of an evolutionary process. This is just something we're going through. See, there's no mention of sin. There's no mention of right and wrong. There's no mention of a creator. Now, you don't mention any of that because 
that's not part of the thinking of man. Man says man is just a product of an evolutionary process. Third, man is free to choose his own identity. We're not a unique creation of God. We can choose what we want to be. We can choose to act the way we want to act. We can choose our own morality. We can choose whatever we want. Because there is nothing distinct about us as mankind. Therefore, we have as a result in our world, in our society, all sex of sort of sexual deviance. We have an growth of gay marriage that is now acceptable by government entities. We have issues of people being transgender and all the side issues that that raises. Well, you see, man is free to choose. That's what man says. That's what our culture says. That's what our society says. That's what the world environment of which you and I are a part of thinks and believes. Let's hear what God says. Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord made the heaven, the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon, and it is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Bedellum and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in a garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was no, not found a helper fit for him. 
So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. May God add his blessing to that reading as well. What does God say? What does God say? What is the truth that God brings to us in regards to our creation as man, kind, as humanity? What does he say? Well, the first thing we would draw out from Genesis chapter 2 is a uniqueness, isn't it? Man is a unique creation of God. Man is the only one that God breathed into the breath of life. That God himself, we are told, breathes life into the man. Man is the only one that is given a direct command by the Lord God. Man is the only one that God takes note of, has no helper fit for him. Man is unique. Scripture reminds us of that. Let's go again to the book of Psalms. 139. And just think about what we what I said about what's going on there in our society about the, the creation, the uniqueness of man. Who is man? Just chance. Who is man? Evolutionary process. Who is man? Free to choose his own identity. God. Psalm 139, verse 13. For you form my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. Intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. See, he exists. Does he not? In your book were written, every one of them, in the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Who am I? Who are you? You are a unique creation of God. God formed you. God knit you, you are intricately woven every day of your life has been ordained by Almighty God. Even if that life upon this planet outside of your mother's womb at 26 weeks is only three weeks. That isn't chance. It's not evolutionary process. And that's not somebody making their own choices. That is a creator God who wonderfully makes each and every one. Why shouldn't you bully 
Johnny. Because he is uniquely made. He is wonderfully made. Why don't you destroy another life? Because that life is uniquely and wonderfully made by Almighty God. It's not survival of the fittest. It's a lie. It's a lie from Satan's design to destroy rather than the truth of God. We are wonderfully made. Wonderfully made. So that we might declare His glory. There's even a purpose in all of this. There's a purpose in Adam's creation. There's a purpose in his ruling over creation. There's a purpose in his dominion. David is speaking of that in Psalm 8. About the fact that that we have been given this unique position. And how does he respond? How majestic is your name in all the earth, Lord? David's not looking at man in Psalm 8 going, well, he's part of an evolutionary process and this is just a product of chance. That's how magnificent, how majestic is your name, O Lord. Why? Because we are a unique creation of God. So unique, as a matter of fact, if you go back to chapter 1, verse 26, listen to how unique... We are, as far as God's creation. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male, And female, He created them. Every word. Every word. Truth. Every word. A direct confrontation to that which man in our world and in our society says that we are. Though that they that sow the wind reap the whirlwind. That's what we're experiencing, my friends, in our society and in our culture. We are experiencing the ramifications of the result of years and years and years of teaching people that they are but the product of an evolutionary process. And that has taken us to the point where man is now free to choose their own identity. And as the school systems of our country, of our state, of our community always follow that which they're told to do, they will follow this too. 
your children will soon be instructed, it's okay that people get to choose their own identity. And the truth is, God says, that's a lie. Why would you teach people such a horrific lie? Do you not realize the consequences of when you tell people they are nothing but an animal is going to result? They're going to act like animals. They that sow the wind reap the whirlwind. We are a unique creation of God. We are God's image bearers. Made in true righteousness, knowledge and holiness. Man is created male and female. You know how often that's repeated in the scriptures? God created them male and female. Many times God refers to mankind as existing in only those two identities. Was God wrong? God make a mistake? Was God in error? <laughs> oh, God, sorry, 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 God. People aren't always just made male and female. You're wrong in that aspect, God. People will say, well, this has nothing to do with salvation. Okay, let me ask you a question. In order for us to be saved, what do we need? In order to be saved, what does man need? Man needs a perfect sacrifice. Man needs a sinless Savior. So, let's go to Matthew chapter 19. And let's ask a question. Does Jesus ever lie? Is it possible for you and I to be saved by a Savior who was a liar? Matthew 19, verse 3. And the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read... That he who created them from the beginning made them male and female. And said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Verse 5. Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, He wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. God made them. 
That's right. God intricately designs, intricately weaves, intricately forms each person with their own sexual identity. To say, oh no, I was born this, but now I want to become this, is to say to God, you made a mistake. You were wrong. And that, my friends, is sin. But that's what man says today. And it it doesn't matter if you're talking about the sexual identity. It doesn't matter if you're talking about the marriage. The argument is the same. See, what we're simply reaping is years and years and years of an educational philosophy that has bought into an evolutionary process. And the fact that part of that teaching is that there is nothing unique about any one of us. Because you see, if there's something unique, then you have to ask, who gave us our uniqueness? Now you have to acknowledge a creator. They can't do that. When your child enters a public school system, your child cannot hear. You're a unique creation of God. You have value and worth because the Almighty God of heaven and earth formed you, fashioned you, gave you your identity. Can't hear that. It's illegal. Oh, but what is legal? Now, you need to be tolerant. You need to be accepting. You need to go along with. You can't raise a complaint. Can't get all bent out of shape. Even though God has spoken very clearly. God not only repeats this. God gave laws concerning this. I don't want to go through all of them and, and perhaps with the specific audience we have, it, it probably isn't wise to do so with children. But let me tell you, folks, God's pretty direct on this. God, God, God in His Word is, is, is so clear. A lot of our English translations sometimes cover over what God was, was really commanding against. But it's clear from God's word. But that which we are reaping, that which is going on, is opposed. Romans 1, certainly if you've read through Romans and you come to Romans and you see all those distortions that mankind involves themselves in, it's like, it's like reading the newspaper of today. It's our society. It's our culture. That's what God says. You're unique. 
You're a creation of mine. You're an image bearer of mine. I breathe into man the breath of life. I form, I shape, and fashion each one of you uniquely. And I give you your identity. I give you your identity as a male. I give you your identity as a female. So here we have man says. Here we have God says. We're in the midst of this battle, royal, in our society and in our culture. Some people are, are in a sense, perhaps finally waking up. The problem is they're fighting the wrong battle. I, I, I find it, to some extent, humorous to find people who are all upset about which bathroom a second grader can use And they're missing the huge point. They're missing the cause. Too many Christians are taking aim at the wrong problem with this debate. So a state passes something about gay marriage and all people go out and march. We had 200,000 Mexicans marching down in Mexico this past weekend to, to, to object to the Mexican president's plan of allowing gay marriage. Maybe we should have more Mexicans across the border. Maybe that might actually help us to some extent. And they think, oh yeah, that's the issue. No, it isn't. The issue is not about what bathroom people can use. The issue is about How am I created? How am I made? Who formed me? Who fashioned me? Who created me? Who made me what I am? So given that, let's step back and ask the question, so what should the Christian response be? Some of these may surprise you. The first one is I believe there needs to be compassion. There needs to be compassion. And I say that because when people, when Jesus saw the people of his day, he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. And we continually read, and he had compassion upon them. I think we need to look at many in our society, especially those in some of these circumstances and situations, And there needs to be some compassion. They are like sheep without a shepherd. What a horrific life it must be. Oh, they don't think so, but what it really must be. The reality of having to go so far from God's truth to find some means of satisfaction, of fulfillment, that you think you need to go to that extreme. There's something in our hearts that ought to be moved to compassion. There are some, obviously in this category, who are dealing with very severe mental issues. And we need to be alert to that. We need to be on guard about that. We need to be sensitive about that. And we also know from a medical standpoint 
that because of certain medical deformities, there are certain individuals that fall within a class that it's no wonder they're confused. And I don't think they need my finger pointing in their face. I think what they need is some sensitivity and compassion. Some sort of understanding that says, wow, that I can't imagine how hard and difficult your life must have been to have been raised all your life as this, when in reality, because of a medical situation, you were really this. I mean, that, that's got to be devastating. And there ought to be some room for compassion in our hearts for those individuals that fall into those categories. Secondly, there needs to be understanding. That's why we need to be very guarded. Sometimes we as Christians can also be very loose-lipped and we include in a group of people a whole group of people, and we forget that not everybody falls into that same category. There are some who are involved in this obviously out of rebellion. But there's some who don't even know what they're doing. They have no clue. And you look at it and you say, well, shouldn't they know better? And the question is, no, not really. No, not given what they've been brought up with, not given the educational philosophy they've heard, not given that which they've had to learn, not that which they've had to regurgitate, not that which their parents believe, not that which their grandparents believe now to be true about them. Don't you, you sometimes just look at some of these young people and you just weep? Because it's not so... Yes, they're sinning. Yes, they're going against God's law. But where is the issue? Paul says we wrestle not with flesh and blood. We've got to remember who the enemy is. We've got to remember that Satan goes around like a lion seeking whom he may devour. And that young woman who goes through that process of getting her operation and now dresses and goes as a man, we need to see, my friends, that that was the roaring lion that grabbed hold of her and has devoured her. We need to see that. In all those people who go through their gay pride parades, advocating their freedom of choice, My friends, do you see the roaring lion? Do you see them hanging out of his mouth? See, we wrestle not against the flesh and blood. But we wrestle against those principalities and powers, those spiritual forces of evil. That's where the war needs to be fought. That's where the battle needs to be drawn. need to understand that, my friends. The battle is not about standing outside of some school with some picket sign 
about what bathroom people are in. The battle line is a spiritual battle line. It is Satan who is on the move. And it is Satan who needs to be confronted with the truth of God's Word. There needs to be understanding. There needs to be education. I wrote prayer requests today specifically on a pink piece of paper. Because I don't know what a pink piece of paper has to do with being male or female. Why is it? Why is it? Outside of culture, why is it that we would tell an individual if they like the color pink, that makes them effeminate? You prove it. If a person likes floral patterns, does that make them effeminate? If a young boy would rather play with some dolls than a truck when he's two years old, does that make him effeminate? You need to be a little more educated. We need to be a little smarter about this. Maybe if we weren't quite so uptight about some of these issues, maybe our children might tend to grow up a little more okay. But you see, we read so much into things. We have such an adversity. We go beyond Scripture. We go beyond the bounds. And we start taking in human traditions to form our opinions. We need to be educated about God's truth. And finally, the Christian response is this. The Gospel. They need Christ. They need forgiveness. They have sinned against Almighty God. I don't want you to think anything I have said in this response is any way a downplay of the fact that it is sin. It is. It is sin. But I want you to see the source of the sin. The root of the sin. Not the sinner. But the root of it. What they need is the gospel. Yes, I disagree with you. But there is mercy. Come to Christ. Come to the one who is the way, the truth, and the life.
there are so many issues out there. They all come back to, folks, those kids on the south side of Chicago, they need Christ. This guy in Washington, he needs Christ. Sexual deviants of our society need Christ. The transgendered of our society need Christ. The homosexual and lesbian couples need Christ. Oh, I know some of you might say, oh, but their church tells them it's okay. It doesn't take away from the fact, folks, they need Christ. That's what they need. Teach your children to be Christ ambassadors. Teach yourself to be a Christ ambassador. Go out into this world, Christ said. Make disciples, preaching and teaching the gospel. That's what people need. That's our responsibility. May God be glorified in it. Father, thank you. You always present us truth. Man deviates, man changes, man distorts. But you give us truth. Sometimes it's easy for us to swallow. Sometimes it's easy for us to take in. Sometimes it's difficult. This morning it was probably hard to hear your word that said we we must be those who forgive when repentance is demonstrated and seen. Even as you forgive when there is repentance. Tonight, Lord, perhaps it's a little bit easier. We read your word and we go, yeah, that's what it says. That's the issue. But we're so unwilling to go with the gospel. We'd rather go with our anger. We'd rather go with our protest. We'd rather go with our angry letter. We don't want to go with the gospel. Yet that's what's needed. Your truth. Your truth. And so, Father, we pray that we might be the aroma of Christ in our families, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our community, state, nation, and world, that we might be the aroma of Christ. In His name we pray. And God's people say, Amen.